we are going through the uh, this passage in, in Isaiah 42, and uh, we've got one more week in it, and uh, we're going to read it. This is, like David said earlier, uh, we're, we're looking at this image of a bruised reed. So let's read it together. This is in your bulletin. If you're following online, it's on your screen, and uh, if you've brought your Bibles, you can follow along. Listen here to the Word of God. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God. Before we look into the text, um, I want to share with you a story that has been floating around on the internet for a few years now. I think it's this is it's been three or four years at least, um, and it's a video segment from a local news station, not a Bay Area one, but somewhere else in the country. And it's the, it tells a story of a guy named Michael Kent, and Michael Kent. I'm going to read a, a transcript of this video. You can look it up online. Um, it's a I think it, it was on the front page of Reddit actually this this uh, past week. Um, this is, these are some of the, uh, the lines from this new segment. Michael Kent. A former white supremacist recently had his Nazi tattoos removed, and he credits his African-American parole officer with helping him turn his life around. And this is the title, A Black Parole Officer Inspires Ex-White Supremacist to Remove Nazi Tattoos. And let me continue reading. Michael Kent, 38 from Colorado, had a swastika tattoo on his chest for over 20 years, and his home was decorated with Nazi flags. He said that previously he would never have worked with anyone who isn't white. Now his Nazi tattoos are gone, the flags on his walls are replaced with smiley faces, and he works on a chicken farm with Hispanic people. And in, in parentheses, he is the only white person there. And it goes on, it tells a story of how after he got out of prison, he had his parole officer, his, her, name was, um, her name was Tiffany Whittier, a 45-year-old woman. And Kent now says that she is like part of his family. And it tells a story of how through this, uh, this officer uh, and ex, uh, ex-convict uh, relationship, she, they developed a friendship. And he learned that this African woman, who African-American woman, who he previously would never associate with, um, she was a good person. She was kind. And through their relationship, over the time they spent together, his heart slowly started changing toward other races 
and he eventually got his tattoo, his racist tattoo removed. Now he loves associating with those outside his race. And if you watch the news segment, it's a really inspiring story. It's, it's really uplifting. You watch it and you're happy because here is a white ex-Nazi who's laughing and hugging this black woman who years ago he would not want to associate with at all. And I like the story. If you watch the news segment, you'll like the story as well. Because why? Everyone loves a good transformation story. We want to know that change is possible, positive change. It gives us hope that as bad as things can get, things can get better. We want newness. When we see that there is something old and corrupt, it's dried out, it's, it, it feels like death, we're crying out for life, we're crying out for something good, something that can breathe life back into us. We want new things. You might want new things in your own life. A word that has entered our regular vocabulary recently is this word languishing. And the New York Times had a great article about this state of languishing last year. Um, and this is the title. There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. And a few lines from this New York Times article. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt something somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. And this was written in April of last year. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. Part of the danger is that when you're languishing, you may not notice the dulling of delight or the dwindling of, of drive. You don't catch yourself slowly slipping into solitude. You're, you're indifferent to your indifference. When you can't see your own suffering, you don't seek help or even do much to help yourself. Even if, you don't, even if you're not languishing, you probably know people who are. Does this resonate with any of you? This feeling of blah. It's not really depression. Um, it's not joy either. You're just existing. You're just, you go through the motions, and there's not a whole lot of excitement. And you can't say that you hate it, you can't say that you like it. You're just there, languishing. You might think of it in terms of where we are as a church. Things are not easy for us. We've been languishing for, actually not just the past month, but we've been languishing for a long time now. Some might say that we've been languishing for years. There's discouragement it's going to take a lot of time and effort to rebuild IGC. That's our church right now. I hope that's not going to be our church forever, but that's where we are, where we have been. If you don't think about your, the church, think about your own life. There might be relational difficulties. There might be a low-level sense of dread of the future. You feel this uncertainty. Or maybe you're just bored of everything in your life. You want out of... Your family, maybe, of your relationships. You might want out of your job. You might want out of the Bay Area. And I wonder 
if we're feeling these things, this languishing, this blah, this uh, low-level sense of dread, this boredom, I wonder what it is that we look to to alleviate the blah that we feel. We've tried all the things. We've considered all the options. And still, we're feeling what we feel. We need something new. And today, as we look at this passage in Isaiah, I want us to focus on verse 9. This is what it says. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I I now declare. And this morning, as we look at the text, I want us to consider what these new things are. I want these words, these new things, this idea of new things, to give hope to our souls and life to our bones. And... We've been going through this passage in Isaiah for the past four weeks. Next week is going to be our final week in this passage. Um, And we're we're doing so because it has something to say to us as a church. We are the bruised reed in this passage. We are the faintly burning wick in Isaiah. And these past weeks we've been thinking about what the servant Jesus does for his people. And I hope that we've been able to meditate on the truth that Jesus really is this servant and that we really are this reed and this wick and how Jesus, he gently, tenderly, lovingly crouches down to see us in our pain and in our distress and in our sin and he pulls us in. He pulls us in. In love so that he can heal us. So that he can fix us. So that he can make things right. This is what Jesus came to do. Mark 2. This is what he tells those who are listening. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Are you sick right now? Do you feel broken? Do you understand your sin? Do you feel the effects of your sin? And in this passage, throughout the Gospels, we see the heart of Jesus for us. He comes not to break us. He comes not to judge us. He comes to save us. And this is the heart of Jesus for us. It will continue to be the heart of Jesus as we go through our lives in every season. In this season, in the next season. If you follow him, it will never cease to be the case that the heart of Jesus is for you. Jesus presses his heart into yours. He pulls you into himself. It's the heart of Jesus toward you right now. If you are tired or if you are sad, if you are languishing, if you're angry, if you're lustful, if you're doubting, if you're lonely, then this is true. That the heart of Jesus is for you. Because if it's not, then we should go home. We should go home if this is not the heart of Jesus for you and for this church. But it's true. And I hope we find the hope in that. And I hope that as we look again at this passage, we'll be confident that He is here. That Jesus really is here in this room. That He's ministering to us. That He's serving us. That's what he's called, that he is a servant in this passage. Though he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, though he created the entire universe, even though he's worthy of all our worship and obedience, 
Even though he's all these things, what does he do? He stoops down. He stoops down and he serves us. And it makes Jesus happy to do those things. So I hope that we see some joy in this passage. I hope that we can sense the happiness, the the healing hands of Jesus as we listen. So our our passage speaks of these former things. So I'm going to go through some uh, history. So... Last uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about what are the 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 um, what's the context of of Isaiah forty two? The context of Isaiah forty two is Isaiah forty one, and Isaiah forty one gives us this picture of a people who are looking to idols to give them life. They're looking to idols for the to the problems in their life. They're looking at their own issues, and they say these idols right here, these idols of these four nations. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to give my, them my attention. I'm going to give them my energy, my money. I'm going to give them my devotion because there's something in my life that's missing. There's something in my life that needs fixing. And God asks this question. What have they done for you? Look at where you are now. They are delusions. They do not serve you. They drain life from you. And also in Isaiah 41... It speaks of the work of God. And it speaks of the work of God through a person. It's not, not by name, but if we look at the history of, and the context of the book of Isaiah, there's this king, King Cyrus, who is not a worshiper of God. Um, but he's a good king who carried out the will of God. Uh, he's the king of Persia who conquered Babylon. Babylon was the enemy of the Jews. And he issued a, dec- a decree allowing the people of God to return to their homeland. So this is, again, in the context of chapter 41. Here is King Cyrus, who has carried out the will of God. And the questions asked in chapter 41, before today's chapter, it asks, where do these conquerors come from? Where do people like King Cyrus come from? Whose purposes are they serving? And how are their victories explained? And the answer is, it's not just the wind. It's not just the will of humans. It's the sovereign God. God has been in control of history from the very beginning. God moves the hearts and the hands of kings. And here is the principle that's going to set us up for the rest of the passage. That God is sovereign. That he uses all people and all circumstances for the good of his people and for his glory. And next week we'll be talking about... Um, What does it mean that God gets all the glory from everything that happens? God is sovereign and God will do things through all types of people, whether they are good or evil. No matter what their intentions are, God will use human beings for his purposes. So here is this king, King Cyrus of Persia. He doesn't know that he's serving Yahweh, the God of the Jews, and yet he does. And all, everything that he did was ordained by God. But they were human accomplishments achieved by human beings. So this king, he does what kings do. He tries to serve his people well. He tries to conquer the surrounding lands. And this is what Cyrus did. The political landscape changed. Armies were defeated. New territory was gained. King Cyrus used by God. And just like today, God will use those around us. God will use Joe Biden, whether you like him or not. 
God will use the Supreme Court of the United States, whether or not you like what they decided. God will use Vladimir Putin, Putin and Vladimir Zelensky. He'll use the commissioner of the NBA. He'll use the CEO of Google to achieve his ends. And much good will be achieved through these people. And much bad will also happen through them. But they will always ultimately serve the purposes of God. So King Cyrus, this human ruler, we can put his work in the category of former things that verse 9 speaks of. God calls it, look at the former things. Look at what this human being has done. And then there is another type of work that's done. It's the new thing. Former things and new things. This is a spiritual work. So when we look at this passage, when we look specifically at verse 9, think in terms of two categories. Former things and new things. And God says, the former things, they've happened. It may have been painful. We may not have liked it, but they've happened. And I've used them for your good. I've used them for my glory. And now, if you belong to the people of God... Your past is with the former things. Everything that God is going to do, if you belong to him, it's going to be a new thing. There's a new thing happening. What are the new things that God is doing? Our passage tells us, verses 1 through 9, what the servants, it's not what human beings are doing, what, what is the servant doing? Uh, in the context of... Uh, Isaiah 41, um, the new servant, he exposes our idols. He lets us see that they are delusions. This is what it talks about in verses um, in verses 6 and 7. Our eyes, the, the eyes of the blind are opened. The captives are set free. They're set free not just from political rulers. They're set free from the blindness of their own hearts, of their own, of their, of their, of their eyes. Because all they saw was darkness. All they saw was perhaps oppression. All they saw were idols that did not serve them well. And now the servant has come. He's done his work. And now they see, I have been a fool to follow those things. It was really dumb of me to give my life, my energy to these things. Because what have they done? They've drained the life out of me. They've caused death. This is what the servant is doing, opening the eyes of the blind, setting the captives free. Verse 3, he faithfully brings forth justice. He makes all things right for us and in the world. And then he takes these almost broken reeds and he heals them. He takes these faintly burning wicks and he blows life into them. So these are the new things that God is doing. But in order for these new things to happen in our lives, we have to look at the idols. Again, we always look, whenever we read the Bible, we have to look at the context. Context, context, context is the most important thing when reading the Bible. So, what idols have we had, just like the people of God? What idols were were they tempted by? What idols are we tempted by now? What idols do we have as a group? And certainly there are things that we need to come to terms with as a church. We need to suffer the consequences of our actions. We have to suffer the consequences of other people. 
And we can also hopefully rejoice with each other and celebrate with each other when good things happen. And if you're committed to this church, then you're committing to the work and direction of the church. And not just the church as this um, amorphous concept, but as a people. The people sitting around you. The people that you're going to see next week. The people in your community group. You're committing to these people. You're serving with them. But think about our idols. What is it that we've placed our hope in? And what has failed us? We've put our hope in people, haven't we? You've put your hope in, if you've put any of your hope in me, I guarantee you, you will be let down and disappointed. You will be sorry that you did. It's going to be the same case for anyone. No matter who sits, who, no matter who, who preaches from this pulpit, no matter who sits in the seat, we find ways to make idols of each other and of institutions. And we as a church, we have suffered because we've looked at the wrong things. But we are a family. We will rise and fall together, and we will rise again by the grace of God. So we're going to, in the coming weeks and months, hopefully years, we're going to work to rebuild this church. We're going to learn to love well. We're going to learn to be faithful to the scriptures all the things that we've been taught so well, not just by me, but um, by others who have been in this pulpit, we're going to remember them, and we're going to live by what was spoken, if it was true, from the pulpits. But here's the thing. We can restructure and rearrange and plan and pray as a church, and we should, and we will, and we're excited about what we're doing. We can do all these things, but they will have no power in themselves The work that really matters in this church, the reason why we show up on Sundays and why we give and invest in this community and its mission, what really matters is done in the Spirit. All the things that were done in our own strength, all the plans that we made without discerning the will of God, those are the former things. God is still going to use them. That's what God does. He's the sovereign God and nothing escapes his control. He will work all things for the good of those who love him. But if they're not done in the spirit, those are the former things. And how will God do a new thing in this church? How will God do a new thing in this church? God's going to do a new thing by first doing a new thing in you, the individual. Before we see... New things happen in this church. A new thing has to happen in you. David led us in the call to worship earlier. This passage from 2 Corinthians 5. And let me read verse 17 17 to you again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you believe in Christ... If you follow him, you are a new creation. It doesn't mean that you don't sin anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't uh, go back to your old way sometimes. This is Romans 7. Um, I hate what I do. Uh, What I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I don't want to do. These are still true of us. But what is truer than that is that you are a new creation. 
when God looks at you, he doesn't see sinner. He sees righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. He sees someone who has new affections and new loves, new desires, new motivations. This is you if you are in Christ. And if there is to be a work of God done in this church, it begins there in your hearts. There is something stirring in your hearts. God has created a new man, a new woman in us if we are in Christ, if we are in Christ. And not just that, God is still doing a work in us. Listen to this passage from Philippians 1. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God's work in you is not done. You can look back at the person that you were five years ago, and I bet you that that person is almost unrecognizable. If not five years ago, at least ten years ago. I can think of myself, and I'm not the same person I was a year ago, or two years ago, or five years ago. Why? Because God has worked in my life, and I have such a long way to go. Um, and that might be the case for you as well. God has opened your eyes. He's shined a light upon you. You've looked upon His marvelous light. Things that you used to love, you don't love them as much. Things that you should love, you love them a little bit more. And this is because God is doing a work in you. And our church, if this is going to be a place where a new thing is going to be done, it needs to be a place where people can come and grow. A place we give ourselves to each other and see each other through the seasons of our lives. I said a few weeks ago, how do we change? This is from the Bible. We change from one degree of glory to another. One tiny, minute degree of glory to another. And this is done in the context of community. If we stay committed to each other, if we stick with each other, then we're going to see these things. There are some people in this church, I've known them for 20 years, and I guarantee you, you would not recognize them 20 years ago compared to who they are now. Because God has changed them from one degree of glory to another. The work will be slow, but it will be sure. I mentioned um, this book by Richard Sibbs. This is a Puritan um, called A Bruise Read. And he, uh, it, it's a, f- a fantastic book about how God works in, his li- works in our lives. And this is one of his uh, sentences, or one of his quotes that I really appreciate in relation to this. Grace, as the seed in the parable grows, we know not how. Yet at length, when God sees fittest, we shall see that all our endeavor has not been in vain. The tree falls upon the last stroke, yet all the strokes help the work forward. What's this Puritan saying? He's saying, one day, all these things in your life that need to fall, all these things that need to die, they will. But it's a final stroke that finally puts to death. But there have been a hundred strikes against that. If it's going to be a tree, it's going to be a hundred strikes against that, that, that trunk. A thousand strikes against that trunk before it falls. 
But this is how God works. He works in us slowly, little by little, in the context of community. If you remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, We are all members of the body. When one hurts, all hurt. When one rejoices, all rejoice. And the way that IGC is going to see a new thing done is by recognizing the work of God in each other and encouraging it. We recognize the new work in ourselves and in other people, God's recreating, renewing work. And in this church, we're going to encourage each other to grow. We're going to allow the new life to grow from a little seed to a little sprout to a weak tree and one day to a mighty oak, little by little. But that means that we can't discourage each other. We have to love each other well. We can't discourage the work of the Spirit in other people's lives. If you see the work of someone, the work of God in someone's life, um, you should point it out. Um, this is something that I need to do because I'm terrible at affirmation and validation. Um, but I know that God is doing things in the lives of the people around me. I know that God is doing something in this church and you can encourage each other by pointing out the little things. And if there are things that annoy you, um, maybe be gracious. And you can, if you want to bring it up to other people, these, these people that are maybe a little bit annoying, you can do it in a, a spirit of love. And that might be part of how God is changing this, this person through your words. So this is what God does, this new thing, which is spiritual, which is something that is done by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will do his healing work here in this church and in your lives. And when Jesus, Jesus does his healing work in the bruised reeds, and when he blows on the faintly burning wicks, new life comes forth. We become a people who forgive in our own lives if Jesus is blowing new life into us, we, we become a people who are generous. We become a people who welcome those who would otherwise we never want to associate with. We, we become a people who see our sin and we do something about it. We become a people who no longer care about the things that everyone else around us cares about. We become a people who love God's word and prayer. We become a people who count our lives as nothing and we're willing to give our lives to the work of the gospel. And we need to recognize the work that God is doing among us by being sensitive to the Spirit and submitting to it. This is how new life is brought forth in this church. Recognizing what God is doing and being sensitive to the Spirit. I'm so glad that you guys are here, and um, it's really encouraging. I mean, some people have asked me, you know, just like with all this stuff happening at church, and we've seen people leave. Um, is it is it discouraging? And yes, it is discouraging. Um, I will admit that. But you know what's encouraging is that God has brought you guys here together as a family, and there are things that God is doing in your lives the people around you have no idea that God is doing. And there are people that you're sitting to, sitting next to, and God is doing something in their lives, and you have no idea what God is doing. But if you knew, 
it would cause you to worship God more. It would cause you to praise God. And this is one of the reasons why we need to commit to each other. This is one of the reasons why we need to be a part of a church community so that we can see the work of God in other people. If you get bored of your own life, look at someone else's life. Ask them what God is doing in their life. God is probably doing something in their life. God is doing something new in their life. I'm glad that you guys are here. But attending on Sunday is not enough. Listening to these messages on Spotify or on YouTube is not enough. If you want to see a new thing happen at this church, you need to you need to submit to what God is doing. We need to submit to the spiritual work of God. This is the new thing, not the former thing. We need to submit to what God is doing. We need to submit to His hand as He heals us. And think again of the image of the bruised reed and a smoldering wick. Think of the bruised reed. Sometimes healing involves taking medicine that tastes bitter, going down. Sometimes healing requires resting and saying no to the things that keep you from resting. Sometimes submitting to God means taking a nap. Sometimes it requires being cut open. And when you're cut open, it hurts. And when God's fingers poke around in your life, in your life and in your heart, it's going to hurt a lot. But those are the workings of the healer who will make you new. Or think of the faintly burning wick. Have you ever uh, watched the scenes of people who are about to die? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't watch that much TV, but I've seen scenes where, you know, someone's about to die, and uh, the person um, that, that's tending to this person, they say, stay awake, stay awake. And they'll, they'll slap them, and they'll punch them. You can't go to sleep. You can't go to sleep. Because why? What happens if this person that's about to die goes to sleep? That's it for them. That's going to be the end of their life. So their friends or whoever it is that's tending to them, they're going to do everything in their power to keep them awake. They'll shake them to rouse them. They'll scream in their face. They're going to be violent and rude to them. Why? Because if this person goes to sleep, that life is going to be snuffed out. And sometimes that is going to be the case for us. This faintly burning wick that's about to be blown out... We need someone to say, wake up. We need someone to say, hey, you got to stop it or you're going to die. We need someone to slap us. We need perhaps someone to slap our church. And I feel like our church has been slapped pretty hard. This is the faintly burning wick and God blows on it. Even though we don't like it. Why? Because God wants to do a new thing. So what is God doing in our lives? What's God doing in this church? What is this church going to look like in six months or a year or three years? I don't know. But if we want to see the work of God, we need to submit to what he's doing. There is going to be a new life. And ultimately, God is going to give us a new life through the gospel. 
This is the gospel, which is undeniably, undeniably spiritual. We have a unique message, something that nothing in the world, that nothing else in the world can offer. And this is the message of Jesus Christ being sent for our sake by the Father, living the perfect life that we could not live, dying the death that we deserved. And then he was resurrected. And this is the model for our life. New life requires a death of the old person. And then if we believe that, if we can live by the power of the gospel, if we can turn our eyes to Christ who was once dead but now lives forevermore, then we can see, we can be the new thing that God is doing in this world and in this church. Listen to these words from Revelation 21.5 and I'll close with this. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is trustworthy and true in Double Grace Church. That Jesus Christ is making all things new. Jesus Christ is making all things new. I hope you'll stick around to see what he's doing at this church. I think he will. Will you pray with me? God, in ourselves there's nothing but death and discouragement. In ourselves there's nothing but darkness. But in you there is light. In you there is life. In you there is a new life. We look to you to do a new thing in our life, God. I pray that we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would do a work in this church that is not the work of men, but the work of the Holy Spirit, so that you would get all the glory, God. Uh, I pray that you would shape our hearts around this truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.